You can be seated today. We're going to jump into God's word. Once again, my name is Joe. Um, and so if I haven't met you yet, man, I look forward to meeting you and getting to know you a little bit more. Um, if, if, if you'd like to say hi, um, I'll be around after service. I hang out as, as long as you hang out. And so uh, don't be shy. Come, come see me after church. I'd love to get to know you a little bit. But hey, we're finishing the series Reset today. All this this month, uh, we had five Sundays in the month of January. And so for five weeks, we've been uh, hitting the reset button in our relationship with Jesus and just saying, hey, we need to get back to the basics, back to what um, is so important in a relationship with God. So we talked about prayer. We talked about studying our Bibles. Last week, we talked about memorization. And today, we're talking about something that just is kind of like the icing on the cake, application. Uh, which when you, when you hear that word, it sounds kind of, uh, uh, you know, stale, doesn't it? And so hopefully as we talk about application and applying the word of God to our lives, we're going to bring it to life a little bit. Because really, uh, what is it if we don't apply it? What, is, what use is the knowledge or the wisdom that we have if we don't put it into practice on a daily basis? And so to kick things off, I just want to ask you a question. And for some of you, you're going to have a lot more than others. But how many, how many of you have useless knowledge? How many of you are full of just useless facts and things that you know that you will never, ever use again? Uh, my parents love Jeopardy. And my dad always jokes about how much useless knowledge he has. And so, um, and since I know him the best, I, I think he probably uh, gets the award. Uh, but hey, the more you know, you never know when you're going to be able to use those things. But man, we all have to admit that there's things in our minds and things in our lives that we will probably never use again, right? Yeah, man, for me, it's, it's going back to math. Um, I just, just, hey, let's all get on the, in, in the humble train this morning. And I just want to admit and confess to you something. Uh, I took pre-algebra twice, right? I went through it in seventh grade, and then they were like, hey, Joe, you're going to take this again in eighth grade. And, and, and so there's some things in life that we just don't get. And when you're going through them, you're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to use this again, right? I know that I, I learned about what pi was, uh, but to me, the most useful thing to my life is like pi that I can eat, right? And so there's pi that, that is not really useful, and then there's the pie that's really useful, the one that I eat. Uh, that's what's useful to me. You know, there's all kinds of useful stuff. If you fly on an, an useless stuff, if you fly on an airplane, you need to pull out that Sky Mall magazine. Man, that's like half shopping and half just comedic material. Um, for instance, uh, I, I saw a portable hot tub in there once um, that you could, like, take with you wherever you go. Um, you know, it's just some things that you're never going to use again, useless things. There's things that used to be useful, but aren't useful anymore, like outhouses. How many, how many of you are thankful that outhouses are no longer useful, at least at your house? Uh, we all thank God for the Johnny on the spot, but thank God we don't have to use it every single day. Thank God there's a better way. Or how about if you've been in church for a really long time, you know what an overhead projector was. Anybody remember those? Um, man, when I was a kid, I thought I was big stuff because I got to, to, to sit next to the overhead projector and, and switch the transparencies. Some of you kids, your parents can tell you what these are when you get home. Uh, but man, these clear sheets of paper and I got to switch it. And, um, and sometimes you even held a piece of paper to like keep people on track. 
Destiny is like the pro at Pro Presenter. That's the program we use now. And, um, but man, back in the day, I was the pro at the transparencies, keeping people on track with, uh, with the uh, music. But God forbid if you kind of got lost in the worship a little bit and, for, and you forgot to switch the transparency, um, you're having your own little moment with Jesus and everybody else is looking at you like spears in the back of your head, like switch the transparency. But hey, that was a useful skill that I had at the time, but not so useful anymore. Last week, we joked about cassette tapes and VHS tapes, and, and, there, and then there's calculators and rotary phones and all kinds of stuff that, you know, doesn't really have as much of a use anymore. But what's really scary, though, is when things that maybe you learned a long time ago, maybe you learned it in church or things you learned about God, and for some reason, over time, those incredibly useful things that in God's economy, they didn't go out of style. A new technology did not come along. Something better did not replace it. And yet we take these incredibly useful things and we put them on the useless shelf. Like we put it down in the basement in the box with all that other stuff that you'll never use again that you really don't understand why it's not yet in the dumpster but it's you know that box Uh uh-oh no fights in church no fights in church married people just husband leave that box alone she appreciates that it just stays right there but listen sometimes it's you know we, we don't, it's not that we don't want to use these, this, these pieces of knowledge or these things that we know about God, but hey, maybe, maybe if you get honest, you just don't know how. Maybe you don't know where or how or when to apply God's word to your life. Listen, the devil would love nothing more than for God to just be a useless idea in your life. And for many of us, man, we get pressure from the world so much of the time for God to be put on this shelf. Oh, that's an outdated idea. Or that book that you're reading that you say is the God for your guide for your life is really just a, an old book with old ideas based on old things. And nothing, I believe, would be more of an insult to God for him to be relegated to that kind of position in your thoughts and in your mind. To just be something that's kind of, oh, it used to be, it's sometimes useful, it's sometimes applicable, but eh, it's a new day. And we start to have doubts. And we think, man, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Should I really apply that to my life in that way? And don't get me wrong, when we read scripture and we apply it to our life, there's interpretation that happens. And that's why it's incredibly important for you to be a part of a community of believers, people that are wise, that have kind of lived life, that have walked through interpreting scripture and applying it to their lives. But this has been happening from the beginning. When we get to places in our life and we're like, ah, should I really apply that to my life? Or should I really follow what God said or not? It happened in the very beginning in Genesis. God had two rules for Adam and Eve. Don't eat 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. You can eat from everything else in the garden, just don't eat from these two things. You would think that when God made it that simple for us, that it would be easy to just apply those two things to our life. But what did the devil do? He comes to Eve and he's like, did God really say that? And Eve immediately was like, yeah, this is what God says. And she told him exactly what God said. And then the devil's like, no, he just doesn't want you to because then you'll be just like him. And then listen to what it says in Genesis 3, 6. It says, the woman was convinced like that. She became convinced of something that was contrary to what God said because of one simple conversation she had with the devil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom from it. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Just like that, she took the useful information that God had given her and instead of applying that to her life because of her own wants and her own desires, she began to apply different things to her life that were actually harmful. How quickly Eve put God's words on the shelf and discarded them. And I think we do that too, right? We do. All of us, every single one of us has done that and do that. I really think as your pastor that the number of times that we literally don't know what to do is pretty small. It usually has more to do with what we want, just like Eve, right? Because most of the time, because God put a conscience inside of us, we know the right thing to do. The struggle is in applying that right thing to our life. There's this war inside of us. There's this battle between two worlds. This is why Paul, this is why Paul said it like this. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. In another translation, it, Paul, you know, it says, I beat my body daily and bring it into submission, Right? He applies God's word to his life, but it, man, it takes discipline. It takes fortitude. It takes just this grit that says, I really want to apply God's word and not my own word to my life. And so the question is how? How do we apply God's word to our life? And just to preface this morning, there's no neat and tidy bow that you put on this. This is something that is, I think, easy but not simple, if you get my drift. It's like, hey, we know this, but just like everything else in life, applying what we know to our life is tough. And that's why we're kind of going to go after the heart of it this morning. If we're going to apply God's word to our life, it starts in our heart. And so what do we need to do? We need some handles for our heart. We need some handles for our perseverance. We need some handles for our gut to be able to power through with endurance when the rubber hits the road. How do we apply God's word to our life? Do you have notes in your seat? If uh, you don't have one in your hand, grab one off a seat close to you, grab a pen, or you can open your app. The notes are in the app, the Mosaic Church app. But number one, you can fill in the blanks. The first thing I have to do if I'm going to apply God's word to my life, I got to set myself aside. 
Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, li- I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? He loved me. He gave himself for me. He died in my place while I was still a sinner. And so because of that, I'm also going to set my wants aside. I'm going to set my life aside. And I'm going to live because Christ died for me. Right? This is amazing. This is a life verse. We talked about memorizing verses last week. This is one to put on the refrigerator. My old, si- my old self is gone. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. I've got to set myself aside. This is the starting point of application, right? This is the starting point of a relationship with Jesus, that the old is gone, the new has come. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you're kicking the tires, if you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, if you're just coming, first of all, I want to say, you're in the right place. Second of all, I want to say keep coming. Keep kicking the tires. Keep figuring out who Jesus is. Jesus can handle every question you have. He can handle every doubt that you have, and he will always have an answer. I can't always promise that the answer will be exactly what you want to hear, but he'll have an answer that will bring life to your soul. And where he is going to bring you, whether it's today or someday, as you go on this journey, as you go on this this journey of of exploring Jesus and figuring out who Jesus is, at some point you're going to come to this place where it's like, okay, it's the line of faith. Am I going to trust in who Jesus is or am I going to stay in this old life? You see, this is the starting point when I set myself aside and I say, hey, I'm going to die to my old self. I'm going to live in in this new life that Christ has called me to. I love what D.L. Moody says. He says, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And I think that's true. You know, so much of the time we just hold a little bit back. We don't fully set ourselves aside. We want to have our cake and eat it too, right? And I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching with you because this is me too. This is a constant battle. Paul talked about this battle that there's always this war inside. And so it's a constant learning process. It's a constant humbling of the heart that God, I'm continually setting myself aside. It's a constant teachability of my spirit that says, God, I don't know it all and I need you to lead me today. I'm consciously and purposefully waking up today and setting myself aside. I love what the great coach John Wooden said. He said, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts, (laughs) right? It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. And I think that that comes from a heart of saying, hey, I am not the end-all, be-all. I do not know it all. I still have so much more to learn. And no matter how much I know or how much I accomplish, there will always be more. And that's how it is in your relationship with Christ, that you will never tap the endless possibilities of what God can or wants to do in and through you. 
I love what Ray Kroc said. He said, as long as you're green, you're growing. As soon as you're ripe, you start to rot. As soon as you're ripe, as soon as you feel like you've arrived, as soon as you feel like, man, you're all that in a bag of chips or pork rinds or whatever your, your snack of choice is, you start to rot. And that's why this verse is so important. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. My life is gone. It's done. It's over. Christ now lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I know that this posture was the beginning of the end of my life. Have you ever been through that? The beginning of the end of your life? When you ceased to exist and you submitted your life to Christ. See, because I feel like it's that big of a, of a change. It's like there, that was me, but that is no longer me because of what Christ has done in my life. This is a posture that creates a new beginning and the end of your old life. You see, when we say application, which like I said, is kind of a sterile word, we might as well just say surrender. Not my will, but yours. This isn't just a feeling, it's an action that every day I'm just gonna live a humble life, humble to my savior, doing whatever he's called me to do. So how do I apply scripture to my life? First, I'm setting myself aside. Proverbs 18, 15, it says, intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are always open for knowledge. I love that because there's always something else to apply. There's always something else to do. There's always something else to learn and say, God, work through me. Number two, what do I do? If I want to apply scripture to my life, I need to remove the boundaries of my obedience. I need to remove the boundaries of my obedience. Man, this is a powerful thought that I've just been ruminating all week. The boundaries of my obedience. God, is there anything that you would ask me to do? Is there anywhere or any, you know, calling that you could possibly call me to, to which I would say no? If there is, then I have boundaries to my obedience. Listen, knowledge, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, knowledge is only useful if you combine a yes with it, right? That knowledge, when you read God's word and it, it comes alive to you, that only really bears fruit in your life if you add a yes to it. The yes makes the knowledge powerful, you see, when you serve Jesus, there's no picking and choosing. It's not a buffet. Remember those? <laughs> Back before COVID, Golden Crow. Back in the day, we had the Ponderosa, Ryan's. The buffet. Nowadays, Chinese buffet, man, love me some Chinese buffet. Side, side story, going on a rabbit trail here. Took my family to this Chinese buffet one time. My friend had told me about. And um, man, we were loving it. It was kind of in a, in a nice suburb of Chicago. And it was a kind of an upscale Chinese buffet. 
And I had asked my buddy, well, how much is it? Oh, it's like 15 bucks a person. I'm like, oh, we're splurging tonight. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get down at this Chinese buffet. And so we're eating, and I'm looking around, and, and everybody's bringing these whole lobsters back to their table. And I'm like, what is going on here? And, and um, so I'm like, it's got to be extra. You know, they, they, they're not going to have lobsters on the buffet. So we get done, and none of us really wanted lobster. I go up to check out. And uh, they gave me a bill that was like almost $300. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they were like, oh, it's lobster night. It's $90 a person. And I'm like, where's the menu? And they're like, oh, no. And I'm like, it's not posted anywhere that it was $90 a person. And so I like had that, had that little mini heart attack because um, I, I was a staff pastor. I didn't. You know, this was years ago. I didn't make a lot, and here I am. And, and so I begged and pleaded. I'm like, dude, we didn't eat any lobster. Can we, like, can we catch a break? And they, they were like, nope, <laughs> there's no break. And I'm like, well, you need to tell people next time before they sit down. Um, but, you know, and so it's not a buffet, right? It's not a buffet. And when you serve Jesus, sometimes the cost is going to feel a little bit high. But here's what I know. It's always going to be worth it. It's always going to be worth it. When you lay down your life for Christ and you say, God, there's no boundaries to my obedience. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything you want me to do. He's always going to be with you. In Galatians 5, 25 through 26, it says this. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading, underline this, in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. This is, a, this is a kind of verse that is sometimes easy to just fly by. It's just like, well, yeah. But man, when you really dig in, if I'm going to follow the Spirit's leading in every part, you know, we like to be, we live in a world of specialists. We like to be specialists and we're like, well, this is my niche. This is really how I love to follow Jesus. This is my thing. This is my, you know, this is my area of expertise. But Jesus never called you to be a specialist. He's like, hey, no, I want you to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of your life, in every part. And so a great question to ask yourself is, what parts of my life are off limits to Jesus? Jesus, what parts of my my life have I conveniently left you out of because of my own wants and desires? Am I different on Monday than I am on Sunday. God, how do I need to humble myself once again to your word? What are my boundaries of obedience? James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. You see, when we talk about application, you know, we can talk about all kinds of practical ways to get it in your life but at the end of the day if the heart doesn't have a grit about it that says hey I'm just going to do it then it gets really hard so what are the boundaries of my obedience number three think about the consequences of not acting when I read something in God's word and I'm like man that's going to be tough that's going to be hard to apply to my life you God you want me to love who even them no, you, you don't really mean them, God. You want me to do what? 
you're like, God, you, you made me, you know my personality, and you want me to do what? When in times like that, and there will always be times like that, every single day if you read God's word, he's going to point out something to you that you're going you're gonna to kind of be like, what? I don't know about that, right? And when those times come, I've got to think about the consequences of not acting. Proverbs 12.1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I always love when I get to use a word like that because it's in the Bible. Um, you know, sometimes you find translations that, that use, because usually I don't get to use words like that. Um, and some of you like you tell your kids, don't use that word. Well, hey, in Proverbs 12.1, it says, if I hate reproof, I'm stupid. What's reproof? It means correction, leading, guiding, you know, a, 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 a loving rebuke. Like, hey, don't do that, right? And so we think about the consequences of not acting. And so just in plain man's English here, if I'm not doing God what you are asking me to do, if I'm not accepting the correction that you're speaking into my life, then what does that make me? It makes me a fool. And I'm not, once again, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you because I've been a fool a lot. And I've been there. And why do I need to apply God's word in my life? Because I don't want to live with myself after I don't. Right? Man, isn't this the lesson that you, that you would give anything for your kids to learn? That they wouldn't have to go through the same pain and uh, mistakes that you went through? That maybe they at least learn from some of them and not repeat them? Hey, guess what? We can. We can. We don't have to go through it all again. We don't have to experience all the pain and hardship that others have experienced. We can learn. And we can apply God's truth to our life. Listen to this. I love this quote. There's, there's the pain of self-discipline and the pain of regret. You choose. There's the pain of self-discipline and the pain of regret. You choose. So this is a great tool in our tool belt. When I think about God, well, how am I going to apply this to my life? I'm going to think about the consequences of not acting. You see, anything applied in your life is only powerful if it's applied in all of your life, in private and in public, right? A lot of us tend to have these offstage and onstage personas in our life. We're one way in one area of our life and we're in another way in another area of our life. Some people have likened it to an iceberg. You know, how much of the iceberg is above the water? There's only about 10%. Icebergs are ginormous under the water, bigger than you can ever imagine. But man, when we when we go on that Alaskan cruise and we drive by that, that iceberg, we only see just a small little percentage of how big that iceberg is. And your life is like that too. You know, people see this one little bit. And so much of the time we put so much emphasis on what other people are seeing and we got to look this part and we got to, and we got to keep up this status or keep up this reputation and we forget to apply God's word to all these other areas of our life. And when we do that and our family starts to fall apart, our relations start to fall apart, or we lose the job because of poor choices or, or whatever happens, we're like, oh, if only I would have applied the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of my life and not just the ones that are seen. 
right? In every part. You know, this really applies to this question is huge in all kinds of areas of our life, like parenthood. What will be the consequences of not acting in a godly way as a parent, right? What would be the consequences of not acting in a godly way or following the biblical instruction as a spouse, being consistent, being faithful, right? What would be the consequences if I don't step out when I'm prompted and help that person that needs help? One little thing that back when I was a youth leader in college that God prompted me to to do one day that felt really strange and really, really weird. But I, I was a youth leader and there was a lot of students and, and our youth group was blowing up. 150 students coming every Wednesday night. And man, as youth leaders, we were just doing our best to love them and show them Jesus and to set a good example. Well, there was this one student who obviously had, had not had a haircut in a long, long time. Um, it, was, it was obvious like that just wasn't a priority. And so I kind of took him under my wing. And one day I, I felt so strange, but I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to do this. And, and, and I was like, hey, bud, what if, uh, what if I took you out and um, got a haircut and went shopping? And obviously I did this in private because I didn't want to embarrass him or anything. And he was like, okay, sounds good. And so he let me take him. We went shopping a little bit, got him a haircut, got him all. And you should have seen the look on his face. And when I think about the consequences, had I not followed the Holy Spirit's prompting, had I not gotten that kid's life, taken some time, taken a Saturday when I could have been doing something else and taken him to get that haircut, get him some, you know, better shoes, just a little saying, you matter. You matter to somebody. And becoming a tangible, physical example of the fact that somebody loves you had I not done that, and was that, did that fix everything in his life? No. But he'll always be able to look back and be like, hey, somebody, somebody cared. Could have been an example that set that was a trickle effect for the rest of his life. And when you think about the consequences of not acting, man, it becomes a whole lot easier to say yes in those times when God maybe challenges you with something that you're really not sure if you've got it in you to do right? Man, when you start to look at life that way, well, what's going to happen if I don't? Man, God's going to give you all kinds of reasons to say yes. Listen, no one wants to walk around in guilt. It's a horrible way to live. Constantly being like, oh, I'm not measuring them up. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And so think about the consequences of not acting and start living life on purpose, saying yes to God's word, saying yes when he leads you. Number four, we'll close with this today. If I'm going to apply God's word to my life, I need to focus on doing the right thing just for today. Just for today. So many times we get so overwhelmed with all the stuff because I don't know about you, but when I look at my life, I see a big gap between where I am and where I need to be, Right? You ever feel that way? Like, God, I don't even feel, I don't know if I should do anything because I'm never going to get there, wherever there is. Like, I, I, in my Christian walk, I don't look like Billy Graham or I don't look like that person that I really look up to, so why even try? 
what we need to do, if we're going to apply God's word to our life, we're going to say, hey, I'm just going to do a good day today. I'm just going to worry about today. James 4, 13 through 17 says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town. We're going to stay there a year. We'll do business there. We'll make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we'll live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans. And all such boasting is evil. Remember, and here's the kicker for all of us today. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. How convicting. A lot of time we, we think of, our, of sin as a big long list of, you know, don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then when we do something we know we're not supposed to do, you know what that's called? That's called a sin of commission. I committed that sin. But so much of the times we leave out those sins of omission, right? Those omitted things. I knew to do right. No one will ever ever know if I didn't do it or not. And so I just left it out, right? And so what do we need to do? I got to focus on just doing the right thing today. I've got to focus on the short steps. I'm not going to focus on how I've messed up or how I might mess up in the future. I'm going to put a really good day together today. How many of you feel like you could do just about anything for one day, right? I could do it today. Amazing things happen when you start to string a lot of good days together. Because if you can do it for one day, if you can do it today, you can do it tomorrow. But if you start to get yourself all strung out and all worried about failure and all worried about God, I can't, or God, I won't, or God, I, I, I've messed up before, or God, I, I never followed through before, what makes you think I'm going to be able to follow through this time? Then all you're going to ever hear is the devil speaking into your ear that you can't. And so you've got to focus on, man, I'm going to do the right thing just for today. A lot of times what happens if we say, okay, I'm going to start to apply God's word to my life. I'm going to start to do the things I know to do. People are going to say, who, who are you? And you're at work and maybe you work with a group of guys and, and you start to get the name at work. Well, you're just the goody two shoes or you're the guy that you're, you're the, the choir boy or, or whatever they say because you're starting to apply God's word to your life. And you just need to shove down all those voices and say, hey, I'm just going to do the right thing today. I'm just going to worry about today. I'm just going to do the next right thing. And then I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Also, I would encourage you to just simplify it a little bit. You know, in business, <clears throat> and I think this way in church sometimes too, how do I know that I'm winning, right? How do I know that we're doing the right things? And in business, they've got this, this term, uh, they call them KPIs, Key Performance Indicators. What are the things that we're doing that are indicating health? What are the things that we're doing that are indicating that we're winning? What are the things that are happening? What can we look at if we look at our life like a dashboard and we got all our dials and the speedometer and the oil gauge and the, the, the gas level and all this kind of stuff that will say, hey, we're doing okay. What are those key performance indicators in my life that if I do these things today, I'm winning? You know what they are? The fruit of the Spirit. Because some of you are overwhelmed at your lack of Bible knowledge. You feel like, Joe, I'm never going to be able to memorize all these verses. Joe, I'm never going to be able to know the Bible like you do or know know the Bible like somebody else. But hey, 
you can know this verse, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And you can write those down and start to use those as key performance indicators in your life. And I can do that today. And at the end of the day, you can say, God, how did I do in loving people? How did I do at being gentle? How did I do at being full of joy? How did I do at these incredibly positive, outgrowth, fruit of the Spirit in my life today? So I just want to encourage you, don't overcomplicate the application of God's Word in your life. Don't do it. Don't do it. First, set yourself aside. Set yourself aside. God, this is not my life. Just like, man, we had powerful worship time today and you are just lift up the name of Jesus. Worthy is your name. It's not about me, right? I'm going to set myself aside. I'm going to remove the boundaries of my obedience. God, there's nothing that you're going to ask me to do that I'm going to say no to. It's always going to be a yes. It's going to be a yes. I'm going to think about the consequences of not acting when I get down, when I get discouraged, when I feel like, man, I can't do this. And then, God, I'm going to commit to focus on today. And just for today, I'm going to do the right thing. Even if it feels awkward, even if it feels like it's not me, even if it feels like people are going to look at me strange. Some of you spouses, you've been acting one way for so long that if you feel like, if you start to do this or that, that you're just, you know, you you feel like you're giving in or you feel like your spouse is going to be like, oh, now now you're going to do that? I've been asking you to do that for 20 years. And we got these voices in the back of our head. And hey, scratch all that. Just do it today. And then how about you wake up and you just do it tomorrow, right? And you just take one day at a time, you push all those other voices out and you say, God, I surrender. Help me to obey. Help me, Jesus. Help me to remember how far you've brought me, what the consequences would be if I don't say yes. And Jesus, help me to just do the right thing today. Amen. Amen. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. And think, in what area do you need to apply God's word to your life today? Your choices. What's God bringing to your mind? What's God putting on your heart? What area needs to be surrendered? What, what area have you compartmentalized and kind of made off limits to Jesus? What boundary needs to be lifted to your obedience? Right? If you're here today and you're just saying, Joe, it's time for me to set my life aside and surrender to Jesus and begin a relationship with him, and maybe you've come to the place in your journey where you understand now that Jesus died for you on a cross, he rose again on the third day, and he did all that because he loved you so much. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And you're like, that's for me today. I'm at this place where I believe. I believe I'm ready to step across that line of faith and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you just feel like, man, that's my first 
step today. And that's you. If that's you today, just raise your hand. It's just, uh, it, you're raising your hand to Jesus more than anybody else. You're saying, that's me. Jesus, I'm gonna step into a relationship with you. I wanna trust you as my savior today. Amen. Right there at your seat, you can pray a prayer of acceptance. Accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just invite Christ to be the Lord of your life in your own words. You admit that you're a sinner, that you need him, that you need his forgiveness. You believe that he died and rose again for you and you commit to live in the rest of your life with him as Lord, your guide, your director, your leader in life. Amen. For the rest of us, I just wanna challenge you before we're done today to do something. Do a little exercise, maybe in your journal when you go home tonight, uh, maybe this afternoon, or some of you are gonna go home and sit down in the chair and take your nap, that's okay. But maybe tonight before you go to bed or first thing tomorrow morning when you wake up, write out an ideal day. What would it look like? What would the perfect day look like? Now, I'm not saying like the perfect day would be, I'm on a beach in Hawaii and I've got a drink in my hand and I've got no cares in the world and everything's just perfect. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying an ideal day where you're doing what you need to do. You're going to work, you're living life on purpose, you're making a difference, you're making an impact, you're being responsible. You're doing life, real life. What would it look like, right? And then is Christ incorporated in it? And if you're gonna live and apply God's word to your life, what would that ideal day look like? Is it purposeful? Is it impactful, right? Are you planting God's word in your heart? Are you meditating on God's word? Are you applying it to your life? This is a great reset activity. Just say, God, help me create an ideal day. Because if you don't have a plan, then you're not gonna have anything to shoot for. And so do that exercise and, say, and then commit and say, hey, I'm gonna do my best to live this day out every day. And we're not talking about something unrealistic, like I'm gonna win 50 people to Christ every day. Man, if you do that, go for it. Just bring them to church. That'd be great. Something realistic. I'm gonna do X, Y, Z every single day to further my relationship with Christ. And, and Holy Spirit, when you prompt me, I'm gonna say yes right? Amen. Amen. God, I thank you for your people. I just pray that you bless them as they leave this place to follow you, to be obedient to you this week. God, help us, Lord. We need you more than anything. And so we just depend on your word every day to lead us and guide us and, and to help us follow you. In your name.